Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We are moving on to the third phase of the housing crash, and we're also going to talk about the fourth phase as well. Um, I have really appreciated, sincerely appreciated all the great feedback we've had from all of you listeners telling us that we're on target with, with, with the, tar- the topic we're presenting. Um, I had an interesting coaching call this morning, Julie. I unmuted you. Um, and uh, with Stacy, and uh, Stacy out in California oh. in this really expensive uh, real estate area. And he was, and I've been telling him about this happening, and he was denial, not happening in my market. You know, we're insulated, all the new normal things people say. And then the coaching call I had with him this morning, he just put like 11 new listings between million and like two and a half for sale. Uh, and, you know, basically he has 11 brand new listings. The least expensive is like around a million. The most expensive is around 2.5, 2.6. And he was expecting half of them to sell, you know, the typical seller's market type thinking, mm-hmm. and none of them Instantly. have. And now he's basically having wow. – yeah, I mean, so the situation is is that he wasn't really uh, willing to accept the fact that his market's changing, and so he's taking a bunch of listings overpriced. And now he and I need to learn how to – he's going to have to learn how to brush off his uh, repositioning conversations, guys, a little side. Uh, side coaching tip for you. Don't say lower the price to a seller. Always say reposition the house on the market to more correctly reflect the market's expectations. Don't say, um, you know, don't use snarky things like, you know, uh, overpriced and things like that. Use terms like aspirational pricing. One of the key nuanced differences between agents that own markets like this and agents that don't are their ability to have really good bedside manner. And if you don't, you're not going to get listings. You're just literally not even going to get an opportunity to get the listings. And when you go there, they're not going to they're not going to want to list with you because you didn't have the finessed approach to helping them move past their natural fear response to a changing market. Um, and they ended up listing with somebody who does. In other words, the professional agents are the ones that dominate in phase two and phase three. Um, and as we move into uh, really the longer term correction cycle. The agents who are marginal with their skills, who've been depending on their their wits and their you know personalities and their branding and their fancy this is and the other things. If you think that's going to carry you through this market uh, shift that we're going to, with Julie and I are calling the real estate reset, if you think your what worked in the past market is going to work at the same level in this market, you're probably going to set yourself up for a lot of undue suffering. Um, so, Julie, um, a couple days ago, we asked for our podcast listeners because Tim Ventura, who's our show producer, pointed out to me that the likelihood that all of our listeners – because, guys, we have just epic listens now. We have between 100,000 and 200,000 of you listen on a regular basis, which for a podcast – I mean, outside of maybe the top 20 podcasts, that's a hell of a lot of people listening on a regular basis. You know, if you think about that, think of a room full of that many people that you're talking to all at once. So um, he had the inspiration that, hey, you know what, Tim, I bet you not all these people are real estate agents. And um, we had no way of, uh, of knowing whether or not all you guys were real estate agents, but I figured that he probably was right. So I asked all of you a couple of days ago that were not in the real estate business to self-identify and tell us why you listen. And um, we received a lot of emails, and I'll say that most of the emails came from – it convinced me that probably a third of you guys are real, what we're calling now real estate curious. 
<laughs> so yeah. you may be in an ancillary business like insurance or mortgage, or maybe you're um, and a teacher who's thinking about getting into real estate and you're looking to retire, all those types of things. You're looking for, you know, I, a lot of ret- I got a lot of responses from uh, people that were in the military. They're looking uh, towards their 40th birthdays where they're going to get their military pensions. They've been career uh, military people, and they want to have a real estate as being their, um, you know, what they do for the rest of their lives. And I think that's a fantastic idea. I mean, I've, Julie and I have said this many, many times. Great second We career. get asked – yeah, great. Or third, we get or you know ancillary, but we get asked on a regular basis just uh, uh, from just entrepreneurially minded people, what business should I get into? And they're all always thinking. Younger people especially are asking us this question, and they're asking us like you know they're expecting us to say like go work for Facebook or tech or whatever you know learn how to, you know none of this. We always say real estate because real estate is one of those industries that you truly can control your own destiny and it's all dependent on your willingness to do what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level um, and your skill set when you can combine those two things and obviously the constant omnipresent um, connection connectedness to being of service to other people i guess when you combine those three things you're really unstoppable and there's not too many of the businesses like that a lot of other businesses they're cyclical even like a you know a gym, they're not going to have as many new members as they are uh, in a good market or in a good economy as they are in a bad. As soon as people start look back at the last recession in 07, 06, 07, 08, people stopped going to Starbucks. People, you know, all these businesses that were seen as um, providing where people could spend their quote unquote um, extra money, let's say, discretionary income, the gyms, the restaurants, all those types of places, they suffered. And so I'm not going to ever suggest someone gets into a business like that because I know the effects of a slower economy on businesses like that. It's just common sense, right? And you know, goes sometimes people will have these impassioned ideas of opening up a you know a pie shop or a cup some hobby business that they want to have become a or an income source. And I always tell them it's a stupid thing to do. Keep your hobbies your hobbies. It's totally counterintuitive, guys, because I know so many other people are saying, oh, you follow your passion, the money will follow. It's really not true. It's so rarely that it's true and and here's the irony of it when you start following your passion say you're a musician or an artist or an author even you start following your passion then you then you're reliant on that uh passion to produce income and put food in your belly you're not going to like it too much anymore you're going to start to resent it so the moral of the story is for those of you who are real estate curious out there who are just trying to decide whether or not it's for you, I strongly encourage you to get your real estate licenses. You can get your real estate license online. It's easy to get. Um, What we're saying right now is the antithesis of basically what everyone else says. But this really is a great part-time business. It's a great way for you to uh, take care of your family. It's a great way for you to save some money. Real estate is an amazing industry if you just keep your mind purely focused on those three things. And above all else, don't get into the, don't get into the habit of buying buyer leads. Just when you guys get all the third of you that are, you know, 30,000 of you or whatever that are listening who are real estate curious, when you get your license, go back and just, you know, ear gorge on all of our past podcasts and just focus all your best energies on listing agents, on becoming a listing agent. You're going to have a tough time filtering out all the bullshit and Mickey Mouse that's in the industry, but just stay true north to the idea that you're going to essentially just focus all your best energies on being a listing agent. And when you do that, you'll find that this industry is the blessing that it is. Versus the curse that so many people make it into because the fact that they, you know, try to do all these silly things that have nothing to do with being of service to other people and, frankly, making a profit. So we got a really great email. I'm asking Julie now to read it, and then we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to finish off our phases uh, conversation with you guys. 
Yes, and this is a great example of what you were just talking about from somebody who shares your name, Timothy. He writes, hi, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I used to be a restaurant manager, but now I'm caring for my little kids. As soon as they're school age, I will be a real estate agent. I listen to soak up all your wisdom and to hit the ground running. As a happy byproduct, I find myself working harder for my family spiritually and physically because when I want to slack off a little, when I want to slack off, a little voice in my head says, do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at, a highest, at the highest level. So thanks for not letting me slack off in life, haha. I've emailed you before asking questions, and you have been so gracious in responding. Keep doing what you're doing, and I love how you guys allow yourselves to laugh at your quirks and things. Very endearing. Thank you again. I hope nothing but the best for you guys and your coaching franchise, and hopefully soon I will be one of your premier coaching clients. So thank you for responding, Timothy, and letting us know who you are and why you listen. And I think that he makes a really great point about doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level it does really apply to pretty much everything, not just real estate. That's right. And so for all of you that responded and we didn't read your emails, thank you for responding. It did help us to um, solve a question that we had about really all the tens of thousands of people listen on a regular basis. And we're going to continue on the path that we're on because – I also asked you guys to give us feedback as far as what topics you wanted us to cover, and everyone was pretty much supportive of the path that we're on, which is great. You know, it's interesting. When we run into some of you folks, some, sometimes you guys show up at Orange Theory if you're in Texas and local to us. We've had that happen more than a few times. Um, or, you know, we see you at a live event or run into you other places. It's always interesting to me that there's not the usual, like, we instantly are in alignment with, we're, we're almost like world friends, even if you guys have only listened to us in the podcast. And what's, what's funny to me is that sometimes you're surprised. You're like, you guys are just like you are in the podcast. And I, I can't imagine being any other way other than being authentic, you know, other than saying it how we actually say it. So Julie and I have, a, um, have given ourselves permission to say what we really think and not worry about so much of the political correctness, the real estate political correctness of what we're saying. You know, we will attack the sacred cows of real estate if we found, if we honestly believe that they are not in alignment with what's best, not just for the industry. That's really not our focus. It's the individual real estate practitioner, the individual broker. That's where our heart and soul is, and that's where we cater our messaging towards. Because you guys are the ones that are the most for, forgotten about, frankly. You guys are the ones that are just seen as essentially cannon fodder, and that's how the industry treats you for the most part. There's not a lot of big conversations. Everyone says, you know, <laughs> I wrote this down. I've shared it with a couple of people, and I think it's so true. Ronald Reagan, I don't know if I – did I say this yesterday on a podcast, Julie? Ronald Reagan was no. quoted as saying um, – you know, the scariest words in the English language to ever hear, or, you know, is essentially someone knocking at your door and saying, I'm, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. I'm sure that's not the exact mm -hmm. quote, but I thought that was funny. But I've noticed that there's a lot of, of these tech companies, you know, that are coming out with these big, very, you know, sounding statements that are, they're saying, we're here from, you know, we're here to help agents, and we're here to all the rest of it, and we're going to solve all your problems. And I see a lot of this parentalism sort of mindset that's starting to basically um, become normal in the industry where they're trying to basically um, make it so that you're dependent on them through like software or through just the belief that, okay, I got this big all-knowing all you know, real estate guru who's going to somehow have all my um, fears taken care of and he's going to look after me and all the rest of it. And I, I'll tell you specifically who I'm referring to is Gary Keller. I heard him on that Inman thing between him and Brad, and I've heard him on a couple other things. In the past couple of years, he's making some statements that are frankly a little bit 
troubling to me. And Frank, and the real reason why is because it's not about you becoming independent, stronger, and smarter. It's about you becoming dependent on Keller Williams or dependent on the software, the tech company that he claims that he's creating, uh, making Keller Williams into. I don't like that. I don't like the idea that you have somebody who's in a position of wanting to create dependency opposed to trying to create independence, making you guys independent and strong. A long time ago, we made the statement, and it was true, that we do not ever want to be called a guru. And the reason is, is because gurus try to create dependency. They tell you how to feel. They tell you how to think. They tell you what's right or what's wrong. They tell you how to live. They tell you what to read, what's everything, right? It's like a cult. Well, that's essentially what's happening in a lot of these, uh, you know, in the market starting to change. A lot of these real estate leaders, quote unquote, are getting fearful. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to basically elevate themselves into these all-knowing, all-seeing, I'm going to protect you type. Um, and look, guys, you're going to see more of this as the market starts to change. You're going to see more people act erratically because they don't know what else to do in all, you know, and essentially all different levels of real estate. I know this sounds kind of crazy what I'm saying, but I want you to start listening for anybody that tries to basically purport themselves to be some kind of all-knowing, all-seeing guru that's going to take care of you. When you hear that, I want you to remember that Ronald Reagan quote, knock at the door, hello, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. It's the same thing. It's about disempowerment. It's about making it so you're dependent. That goes against my grain. Doesn't that go against yours? I bet it does. So remember I told you that and look out for it, and when you hear it, go the opposite direction. All right, Julie, um, we are talking about the different phases of the real estate reset, as we're trying to be nice and use those terms opposed to say real estate crash. Yeah. So we are on phase three today, correct? Phase yeah, four, so we maybe? got about halfway through. We got most of the way through phase three, which is known as bust, when the inventory does indeed start to build up. Sellers are starting to have to lower prices this week, and you were talking about uh, your client out in California is already going to have to deal with that. This begins the vicious cycle of buyers starting to say, well, let's just see how much the market adjusts. Maybe we don't need to buy today. We'll see how it goes. So for agents, this can be a bit of over-promising and under-delivering. If you're not watching your particular price segments and what's happening and longer days in the market, I saw a few very interesting charts this morning. I'm always researching this stuff to make sure that we're on task here. And it was really fascinating. One of the charts was the low inventory rates, and it was like, I don't know, 70 months in a row or something. And then just recently, this uptick, and then another month of it reported last month. So, yeah, I mean, this is when things start to change. And we talked about home equity uh, lines of credit being pulled. We talked about upper-end would-be sellers deciding to lease instead of sell. BPO orders going crazy. Uh, we talked about substantial value decreases in some areas, and you gave some examples of uh, both in California and in Manhattan. Significant price uh, adjustments. You know, Julie, this might go back to this. Lena, I was on a co coaching call. It just popped into my head, and I looked at the notes I wrote on my desk from yeah. after our coaching call. And she told me that she has, I don't remember how many in contract, a whole bunch, and they're all having huge closing problems. I think this was an ep, uh, right. a, a sign of phase two. And the closing problems, and so I'm going to tell you guys summary what the closing problems are. They're going to be from appraisers. They're going to be from mortgage companies. They're going to be from buyers that were not fully pre-qualified, the whole thing. 
and we talked about what she could actually do when she gets an offer from a co-op. You know, what aspects of these closing problems can she truly be in control of? And it was virtually all of them were coming from basically the buyer side of the transaction. They weren't even unsatisfactory conditions, which frankly we could deal with. They weren't, you know, sellers having appraisal problems, which we could deal with. They're lenders that were uh, not fully pre-qualifying the buyers. So Premier Coaching Clients, I want you to listen to what I'm saying, and Julie, you're going to have to probably try to find this so we can tell them the name of it. Otherwise, customer sure. service is going to get inundated. There is a um, rider. So here's the process. When you receive an offer on your listing in this market, even if it's completely acceptable, all terms and conditions are acceptable, and they even include a lender's letter, I want you to always counter back. Let's assume it's acceptable. And I want you to say, seller accepts your offer, blah, 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 uh, but buyer to provide a lender's letter that reflects the following within, say, 48 hours or 24 hours. The lender's letter has to show that the buyer has been completely approved with the following being done. A three-merge credit report. Write these things down, listeners. And the actual, uh, you know, the actual um, counteroffer language is written out waiting for Premier Coaching members on the website. But again, receive, return this to all, all offers, whether or not it's completely, the offer is completely acceptable or not. Don't just accept offers in a market like this assuming the lenders have actually verified or checked anything on the buyers because they haven't. And you're going to have huge closing problems if you start basically allowing buyers to lock your houses down, and they're all going to blow out like two or three weeks before closing. Okay, And this is going to do nothing but cause your cash flow to suck even worse in some cases. All right, so you want to make sure the lender's done a three-merge credit report, verification of income, verification of employment. Employment's a tricky one because some lenders are going to require that, let's say, for example, the person was a cobbler and now they became a candlestick maker. And they get paid the same amount of money, but because they switched industries, that actually could blow out the approval because they switched industries. You want to do verification of the uh, assets to close. And you need to be careful. Again, this coaching member says this is already done for you. Just cut and paste it off the website. Um, you need to do a real due diligence drill down and making sure the person's da uh, down payment is not dependent on the sale of any asset whatsoever. Just because they're not contingent on the sale. When you get the offer, there's no home sale contingency. But what you don't know is the financing is contingent on the home sale. So unless you yes. were countering or uh, in your lender in your offer to make sure the lender is not trying to pull a fast one on you, you need to say verification of uh, money required to close on the properties in an account and properly seasoned. You need to literally force the lender to provide you a letter that the only subject to or verification of. And I know some of you, I'm going way above your head, but that's just the nature of it. The only thing the lender can have in there as a contingency or as they say subject to a verification of is the appraisal of the property. That's it. So you need to get lenders letters that basically say buyers completely approved, all, this, all these things have been done, and the only um, contingency is it, you know, the loan is only subject to, and sometimes they say it's uh, subject to the verification of. They have different ways of saying it, but the essence of it is, is the house has to appraise. Everything else that's necessary for that loan has to be done. Do not accept offers from weak buyers. Otherwise, you're going to have these just never-ending hassles, and you're going to think it was your fault. Well, after listening to us tell you what you're supposed to be doing, if you don't do it, then it is your it fault. Is. So, Julie, did you find that on the website, what that's called? Yeah, I did. Isn't I that called it like the ultimate addendum? Chat, but it's, it is. It, that's exactly it. It's the ultimate addendum. There's actually a coaching call for our coaching members that goes along with that. Uh, it's yep, called the ultimate it. addendum, How to Ensure Against 11th Hour Underwriting Drama. 
So many of them are thinking, well, gosh, isn't that the lender's um, responsibility to do all of those things? Yes, but here's a little fact. Why do things come unglued the week or the day or the hour before closing? Because lenders don't actually do all of this verification until you guys have made it through the inspection process, the uh, application fee has been paid, and you've gotten further into the transaction. Why? Because the lender doesn't want to waste their time if it's going to fall apart during inspections, which makes sense for them, but that also sets you up for underwriting drama. You get these lender letters that are boilerplate. You can call anybody out of the blue and say, yeah, you know, my credit's this, and I make about that, and I've had my job for a long time, and this is my down payment, and they will crank out a lender letter all day long for you, which should be acceptable to write an offer with. But did they actually verify that anything that you said was true? No, that's called uh, pre-qualification. That is different than pre-approval, which is different than underwriting. Not knowing the differences, I mean, you know, that's don't come crying to us if you don't figure this stuff out when we've warned you because this is, you know, really critical, and this is why you guys freak out before closing, is all of the, uh, the I's haven't been dotted and the T's haven't been crossed. So the ultimate addendum does what you said, Tim. It forces them to get it going faster so that if the deal is going to die because it's a weak borrower or something is up, you're going to find out earlier in the transaction. So. So that's just, just a fair example of one of the ways you need to be acting in a cha- in this market like this. You need to be remember we said the ways you've been doing business in the past are going to need to change. It's because pretty much everything else is changing, so you need to become more professional. So, we're now talk about phase 4 and tomorrow we're going to talk about why we might be wrong. So, phase 4, let's let's think about where we are in that cycle. The real estate crash started in 2006, the last one. Um, I used that word again, sorry, <laughs> but that is what it was, 2006, and arguably it didn't start turning into a uh, different market, into a seller's market, until 2011. You can do the math on that, kids. Okay, So five years, basically, we're in this real estate doldrums, which Julie and I will refer to as phase one, really phase two and three. Phase one being the crazy mantic seller's market. Phase uh, two is basically what a lot of you are experiencing now. Phase three is what's going to come in many markets probably into next year in differing levels and differing degrees. And then phase four, let's use last, uh, the last correction as a benchmark. And let's say that the market is officially, everyone's saying the housing market is officially in reset mode, you know, whatever the news decides to call it, and uh, by, say, 2019. So 2019, fast forward five years, your worst case scenario is you're going to be looking at 2020, 22, 23 before you're actually going to see a return to a seller's market. Now, we're going to tell you about a little bit about what to look for and early signs of that, but do understand that you have to use what we're saying uh, and adjust accordingly. So, for example, if you're in a market, not all markets are going to be affected evenly and equally as they weren't in previous crashes. And even in markets where it's an absolute shit show, you're still going to have pockets of housing that are selling as if it were a seller's market. You can have a market where everybody is in the real estate doldrums, where nobody's making any money, where houses sit on the market forever, and then there's some subdivision that's close to some you know, newly announced um, job center or downtown area or whatever, whatever, that the houses are selling with multiple offers and like you know crazy. So you're going to have varying, varying degrees of a real estate reset, real estate crash, real estate boom, 
in your market simultaneously. And this is what makes this kind of market so much more fun because there is no one approach to essentially listing a house or no one approach to a certain kind of buyer. You're going to have to really make your skill set better. I'll, I'll tell you what really excites me about this is that all these new fancy tech companies, you know, and all these whiz-bang idea, you know, tech companies that are supposedly going to replace realtors and all that, they can't come. There's no way in hell they're going to be able to compete in a market like this. How are they, how's that going to work exactly? It's not going to happen. And all these instant offers companies, they're going to ha- you already have seen, we, uh, talk, we wrote about it on our website, timandjulieharris.com. They're capping the amount of money that they're buying houses for to 300 grand. Do you think they're doing that just because why? I'll tell you why, because they're, re- they're fearful that their market's going to drop, and they, can be, and they know the upper end stuff is the stuff that will take the biggest percentage drop off, and those guys are only working on margins that are barely double digits. And those instant offers companies, unless they have deep wells of money from investors, which a lot of them do, you're going to see a lot of mergers and acquisitions and some of those guys go out of business. So anytime there's a real estate reset like there is now, all the marginal business models, the guys running tiny little margins, and that's teams and brokerages included, they're all going to basically either have to get their acts together or they're going to go out of business. The greatest times of change in history always create the greatest opportunities and run one of those phases now. So be very clear on that. So phase four is slow return to a seller's market. In the last recovery, a true seller's market uh, really lasted, uh, what, Julie? Five to six years. Crash started in 2006. Okay. Media didn't say it really started until 2008. Everything I just said. So we're probably realistically looking at um, what's going to be a uh, seller's market in probably, I mean, you know, just accordingly, the early 2020s. There you go. There it is. Those are the cycles. And then phase five, since we're here, return to a hot seller's market. And then it's like what we've experienced for the last 12 years. Now, again, guys, this might, the whole uh, cycle might be a lot. And we're going to talk about why we might be wrong tomorrow, so I'm not going to tip my hand. But tomorrow, listen, and I'm going to tell you all the reasons why Julie and I might be not completely on target with what we're suggesting is going to happen. Our phases, what we described for you, is on target. That is what happens in any sort of real estate um, crash. By the way, that's the same cycle that happens when you see any kind of um, asset have a price corrective uh, episode. It doesn't matter if it's art. It doesn't matter if it's collector cars, if it's anything. They all follow the very same predictable cycle of this boom and bust cycle. It's just the nature of I'm not really sure the psychology behind it, but it has to be psychology. It has to be, you know, just people's desire for something one day and not in fear of it the next. It's kind of a weird thing that really, frankly, I don't need to understand. Our job is just to make it so you guys at least have a clear view forward so you can look for the warning signs and adjust accordingly. Um, Tomorrow we're going to talk about, again, why we might be wrong. Um, why it might only take a few years to correct. And we have, I think we've kind of given you some ideas as to why we might be wrong in the past few shows. But in the meantime, listeners, thank you for continuing to make this the number one listen to podcast in the real estate industry. Thank you for making it so, because, you know, you guys are the ones that are passing the podcast around. You're the ones that are letting other people know about the show. And I really appreciate it. I, you know, Julie and I, it's, it's been a huge honor for us to be in your heads every day. You know, we really do sincerely appreciate you. So if there's ever anything we can do for you, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. So tomorrow we're going to have a conclusion of the phases conversation with all of you, and then um, you, will have given, you will have at your fingertips and in your mind all the information you need to have now to prepare for the upcoming changing market. The next topic Julie and I are going to talk about is how to recession-proof your business. So that's going to be something, obviously, it's going to be 
you know, perfectly in alignment with what we've been sharing with you the past few podcasts. If you guys need us for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.